Welcome to the Geek Geek Podcast, where it's season two. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige, who is dedicated to the art of podcasting so much that he is here, even though he is sick. Prove it. Say something. That I haven't had a voice for a, for probably half a week now, so this is what you guys get. I'm not doing a voice, I promise. This is what we're dealing with today. Um, today yep. we were talking about, actually we were talking about a ton of stuff. So, with Beach being sick... Um, and with we're doing just kind of like a giant episode of Geekery because it's been about three weeks since we've recorded. We built in that holiday time for us, which was nice. But we just have a lot of things to catch up on. So we don't have a main topic this week. So if you found this in your feed, and this is the first episode you're listening to ever because you saw it's the start of a new season, thank you for listening. But I highly suggest jump either one episode back or one episode forward to get a show that's more close to our normal format. Normally we do a main topic for a while, we really dig in deep to something that we've thought about all week, and then we do a little bit of geekery. Today's episode is going to be all geekery, just kind of random stuff one after another in no real order, just what we've been up to, what we're into, things we found over the break, stuff like that. And it might be a little bit more me-heavy than normal, because Beej is sick, so I'm not going to make him talk as much, <laughs> if we can avoid it yeah. at all. Well, I did a whole lot over there, so as long as, uh, we'll see how it goes, because I do lose my voice even more than this, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but we're going to hang in there. Okay, so I'm actually, even though you're sick, let's have you go first and hit, like, your top couple things. Just in case you lose your voice along the way, I want to make sure that you have time to, like, get out the things you're most excited about that you did over break. Okay, so most of all, I've been playing cell phone games, which is something that you you have been trying to get me to play for a really long time and find something made for mobile devices. And I found Marvel Future Fight. And... It is just a beat em up. Don't get me wrong. It's a mobile beat em up that is, is like running around and just smashing buttons. But I've gotten so into this being able to recruit different superheroes like Ms. Marvel, the Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, Spider Gwen, being able to use uh, Captain Marvel. And there's just all of these characters that I don't get to play with and a lot of other games that I'm going around fighting. You go through all sorts of different levels and you unlock abilities and things like that. And it's a typical mobile game where you have enough energy to be able to go through levels and things like that. But when you get to max level, there are 60, there are 60 levels in it. So you're leveling up and you level up your gear like in a typical RPG. When you get there, when you get to the max level, there's actual end game content that there are co-op battles that you can do with your friends. There are world bosses that you can take on on your own. There are world bosses that you can group up with other players. There are versus modes where occasionally they will put in real time battles where you fight other superheroes there's arena things to see how long you can last and some of these are unbelievably hard that i've been playing this for about two weeks and doing all of the daily stuff every day and i beat my first world boss yesterday and i could not beat it a second time that these are super hard and it's just so much fun to be able to do this and and really have to work out a strategy and a team that it really surprises me that this is the kind of mobile game that got me that's really cool is this okay so marvel has about a bajillion like branded apps on the app store yes i'm trying to think um is this the one that's like almost on 2D plane, like fighters fighting against each other? Or is this the one that's like a, a third person, almost like isometric, like Diablo type beat em up? The, 
this one's kind of the isometric okay. beat em up like that, where I thought it was going to be like uh, Marvel Heroes 2016, those kind of games, that game. But uh, no, the Contest of Champions is the 2D fighting game that's on the plane, and it's fun. I downloaded it and played it a bit, and it's neat being able to just smash stuff, but there's not nearly the depth that I actually found in Future Fight. So I'm not going to play it nearly as much, but Future Fight, I have been, and I avoided it for a long time because the name is stupid, <laughs> that that I was like, that that's ridiculous. I don't care anything about it. And it's actually introduced me to a couple of new comics characters that I want to go read about. Like there is a Sharon Rogers, Captain America, who is an absolute beast and i want to know about her and then there's an a new avenger named songbird that just looks she is so much fun to play that i know nothing about her and as soon as i get through some of the comics i'm reading right now i'm gonna figure out what she's all about because she is super cool that's cool yeah i i actually picked up some comics to read too i didn't pick up comics so much as i picked up marvel unlimited because you told me there was a yeah. deal to get like two months for the price of one so i bought the subscription and then i waited till it the process went through and then i immediately canceled it so i have two months sitting there so i dove back yep. into marvel comics yeah there's there's some good ones i basically had left off like right at secret war and so i came back and the first thing i did was catch up on all of the star wars comics which i wasn't too far off from those because i had bought some and then i kind of just stopped at one oh. point because i was buying too many of them and i was like yeah. you know i'll just wait you know i thought that they might be kind of key to the story once episode seven was coming out and leading up to that and around it yeah but it turned out that they aren't at all all of the star mm -hmm. wars comics are like like they're either like clone wars era or they're in between episode four and five stuff like that things that don't matter to like the new narratives that are going on but just flesh out the old ones so i decided that i could wait so marvel unlimited now is the way that i'm going to tackle those so i went back and i read all of star wars the mainline one which honestly it's my least favorite of all of the star wars comics they have that mainline i've heard that from a lot of people actually that the normal star wars adventure is by far the most generic and it never picks up like some of the others yeah it really is i mean it, it's okay it's not bad it's not a bad comic it's just not great whereas some of the other ones are really good especially vader vader is my yeah. favorite one his story is cool because it really like fleshes out that character and what he deals with with his like relationship to the emperor and how he fits into like the empire hierarchy and th things like that that you can kind of guess at but it's nice to have some of it explicitly spelled out this way and the other thing is the vader con comics actually introduce a new character that's awesome called dr afra i don't know if you've yeah. read far enough to get to her i have yeah yeah her, she's cool her and then two of the droids that she made are just they're amazing. They're some of my favorite, like, new canon characters that are really cool. So I read all of that. And then I jumped over, and I think you read some of this stuff, too. But I read all of Spider-Gwen that's available on Marvel yep, Unlimited. I've read all of it. Okay. And then I also read all of the Miss Marvel that's currently available. Yep. And then I checked out. I started checking on Doctor Strange, and I'm not through it yet. But okay. I'm, I'm going to read all of the ones that they have right now. And I read all of the Spider-Verse stuff that you had read last time that you told me was so good. Oh, yeah. And I read all of the Secret War stuff with Spider-Verse that led into the new Spider-Gwen stuff. So I went through all of that chronologically. And then I did all of the Ms. Marvel that was on there right now that, led, that was the tie-ins to Civil War II. 
And then my wife has the trade, which has the newest trade that came out like a couple of weeks ago, I think. Okay. It has issues that are not on Marvel Unlimited right now. It actually goes a little bit further. So I'm going to finish out reading those in hard copy because she buys all of the TPBs that come out for it. And... Then I've also been reading, I read all of the all-new, all-different Avengers, because it has Ms. Marvel, it has Miles Morales as Spider-Man and Tony, and uh, it's really, really good. And you see a little bit of that in the Ms. Marvel issues that are coming around that way. Have you started reading Civil War II at all? Any of the, like, I sent you a list, I know, I don't know if you looked at it, just how many tie-ins and the order of Civil War II that there actually is. No. Have you read any of it? Not yet. Um, It was a little intimidating, so I'm kind of picking around the edges by picking the individual comics that I want to check yeah. out, and then after I check all of those out, I'll go back and I'll look at Civil War II. And the thing that you were saying were, like, it's not as caught up as the the trade paperback stuff. If you guys yeah. don't know, the way Marvel Unlimited works is it it's kind of amazing for what it does. Like, okay, they have basically everything from six months ago and earlier. And yes. it's like a flat price for the month. It's basically like a Netflix. It's it costs less than Netflix, honestly. But it's it's similar to like a Netflix subscription model. And you can just have any unlimited number of comics. But they don't give you anything that's happened in the last six months. So if you're a comic book fan that has to know the latest thing as soon as it comes out, you're still buying the ones that you're really into. Um, luckily for me, I'm not that kind of person for almost any comics. So I'm happy to wait on all of the Marvel comics until they hit the service. So I'm always about six months behind. But I mean, the other thing with that is that in comic book terms, that's usually only like six issues, maybe even less. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really not that bad to keep up with. The only frustration that I'm having right now is that all of Civil War II isn't on there. So I'm reading the storyline and it's not all been it hasn't all been put on there yet. So I get a couple of issues in and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I want to know what happens next. And it's not there at all. I can't access it. And so I've been reading this, and I can't remember who it was on Twitter was telling me which ones were the good Civil War comics to read. And it's basically the Ultimates, Captain Marvel. I think Spider-Woman has a really good tie-in. And then the Civil War II mainline series. I really, really like it so far. The introduction, they had a prologue to this that was called Civil War Ulysses. And it was actually an infinite comic. And I'd never read those. And Marvel does these through their digital subscriptions and digital comics. Have you read any of the infinite comics? I don't know. I've, I've sampled so many with Marvel unlimited just by clicking on random things that look interesting okay. or tapping on them but i don't specifically remember an infinite one but maybe maybe okay you need to look look this up you can go into the browse and there's actually a search feature now so just search for infinite and what it is is it's made for mobile devices where instead of having the panel by panel movement of the normal page where sometimes it has to zoom in zoom out and you miss some of the entire the entire effect that the artist put together with the composition of the page these are made specifically for panel by panel storytelling and what's interesting about it is that this was the first one I'd ever read and it made me really interested because it reads almost like a motion comic because occasionally there were as I swiped through 
it would change one or two things and there were three different panels on my screen but only one of them would change or the dialogue would change and like somebody had moved around and changed their head position and it really gave a sense of motion and moving from panel to panel that you don't get in a lot of digital comics so I was really impressed by Marvel being able to do that with their comics and adapt into this new digital technology and I thought it was going to be a gimmick and it kind of is but it really worked because I honestly love motion comics okay that's uh, so now I'm curious do you actually like when you're reading Marvel Unlimited or Comixology or whatever do you read panel by panel do you use that view I do Okay, I do. I use the panel by panel view because I have old man eyesight and it's very hard for me to read the entire page at a time. So I would have to pull my glasses down and do the like 90 year old man like I need bifocals kind of thing. So I do do the I said do do and the I do the panel by panel kind of uh, reading where it zooms in and out. Okay, so when I read comics, because I don't do it that often, right? I only pick up a subscription every once in a while. And then I have a couple I'm subscribed to on Comixology. But I always, I always read it on my tablet. Like, I get out the iPad, which I don't get out for a whole lot, except for I do a lot of work stuff on it, like device testing, cross-device testing. Right. But um, I don't get it out to use apps on it a whole lot. But I, I only will read comics on my iPad because everything else feels inferior to it I mean, it's so nice yeah. to have like a big page layout and just see the whole page page by page and then just click to go to the next page um i actually don't know how long it's been since i've held a physical comic but i'm assuming an ipad is about the size of a physical comic yeah okay it is and i've done that before on the ipad that i have but it's so old i have an ipad too so whenever i've used it it lags a lot it's it's not got a very hd screen so it's very pixelated because it's so old and i know this is like first world problems here but i don't like seeing it like that very much and because it is still hard to read and i've got the iphone 7 plus now so it helps a lot but it's still not not great for doing that. I also yeah. learned that with Marvel Unlimited that I don't know if it used to be that, but I couldn't find it, and it does now. You can read it in your browser, that you can read it on your main computer screen or your laptop screen if you want to, and that gives more of an option for larger screens to have a, a full-effect comic. Cool. Cool. Yeah, that's what my wife is going to do. Nice. That's good to know. Just more options. Yeah. Outside of Marvel Unlimited, which I'm still picking away at, I'll probably have that for geekery in the next week or two as I work through kind of the backlog of things I definitely want to try. I also caught up on Wayward, which is just one of the normal comic subscriptions that I'm up to date with on Comixology. Nothing really new there except that I still like it. And then I also read (laughs) White Sand Volume One, which is um, it's a Brandon Sanderson graphic novel and i ignored it for a really long time but then i found out it's part of the cosmere which we've talked about before on like book episodes and stuff i just i wanted to have all the information about the cosmere because i'm also in the middle of reading his short story cosmere collection and it it seems like he's finally working towards books that i don't know if we're gonna have direct crossovers but we're definitely gonna have like larger cosmere stories coming up in the next few years it feels like good so i really want all of the context and white sand was really good But what I didn't realize is that it's volume one out of at least two. I think I'm guessing two based on where the story was because it felt like about half of the story and then it just stopped. 
And I was like, oh, okay, I I'll, I'll, didn't realize there was another one, but I'll go grab it. And I went and I looked, and it's not out until July. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I've done that with them. That was a, an issue that I had with uh, what was the Dark Tower series at first, was that so many of the hardcovers that they did led so much into other ones, and so I just stopped reading them. Okay, so what about other mobile games? Because I know that was kind of a big thing you were going to try out with your phone. Have you done anything else or I, just Marvel? I haven't done a whole lot. I've been playing a lot of Mario Run. Okay. And uh, my, I've been playing that. It's fun. My wife will be playing it while I'm playing Future Fight. And then our nephew will call. My nephew has been playing it on his iPad with his mom. And what's so funny about this is that he cannot... He's six years old. Let me preface it by saying that he is six. And he has the most competitive spirit of anyone that I've ever known. He cannot be second place. He has to win. He has to be better than everybody at everything. And so he keeps calling and we put him on speakerphone and he's like, how many toads do you have? <laughs> and he, he's like, I, I got Luigi. I have all the characters just like uncle BJ. And, uh, so he's been trying to keep up with us, and he finally surpassed me. He's been on Christmas vacation, and because I was playing Future Fight and other games like this in Contest of Champions, he passed me on Toad Rallies. So he had he had significantly more Toads than I do, and he's about to go back to school, so I'm going to be able to beat my nephew cousin at video games again. And, or my, <laughs> my six-year-old nephew, rather. and Not my nephew cousin. I'm from the South, but come on. And uh, he's been playing this a ton, okay? And he his mom approaches technology kind of like you do where he is not restricted on how he plays with the iPad because for the most part he has a Wii and he plays it occasionally and then he goes and does something with action figures or he plays or he writes books or draws or does something like that he does not sit in front of a screen all the time and but Mario Run has gotten him to where he is just wanting to play this game over break all he wanted to do was sit with his iPad and play Mario which you know me I'm I'm proud of him for that. I'm like, yeah, you go, buddy. And but his mom obviously is concerned, you know, when her son who was moving around a lot just sits in one place with an iPad on his lap and acts not like himself. So she took his iPad away from him to get him uh, to do other stuff. Like not necessarily as a punishment, but just, you know, you're going to do something else. I'm I'm you can't use your iPad right now. And he had this idea to get his iPad back. And it's the best thing that I've ever heard. I'm, you've probably had parenting moments like this. So he came up with this and he was like, what can I do? If He said, if I go, it snowed here recently and snow to us is different than snow to you. So, you know, we got like a couple of inches and the entire town shut down. And, uh, but it was snowing at his house. He lives out in the country. And he said, if I go outside and roll around in the snow naked, can I have my iPad back? And his mom was like, yeah, sure. You do that, you get your iPad back. And he did it. He yeah. stripped down, went outside in single degree weather. No, it may have been in the uh, 20s that day, actually. It may have been in the 20s. And false start after false start, ran outside, rolled around naked, and ran back in the house. I mean, obviously not for a long time. She wouldn't let her son get you know hurt or anything like that. But she was like, cool, here's your iPad back. 
you must have really wanted that thing. And that was his idea to do this. So I love that his bargaining already started to get Mario. He knew what kind, what level it would take to get it back and what he was willing to do to get Super Mario Run back. Yeah, that's one of those things you learn as a parent after they... This is probably about the time that they hit like two, two or three. And right. they really become... Like the two to three-year-old change is huge. Once they're three, they're like... Yes. A, human like a real person before three <laughs> yeah. uh two to three is kind of a transition but before that it's just they're just like a needy little you know they're they're it, a needy little animal yeah kind of and um <laughs> then they suddenly turn into a human and it's amazing but uh, right. they're amazing the whole time but it's one of the things that you learn once you get to that stage that you never set an ultimatum as a parent if you aren't actually okay with the out- outcome because right. your kids will surprise you and just do it sometimes so yeah, they'll call your bluff, which is hilarious yeah. that that happened. But huh, I guess he really wanted it back. Yeah, he did. And it was his idea. So I was like, yep, great. That that That's my boy. Roll around. <laughs> you been playing anything um, else besides that? Um, Not really playing a whole lot. I've played some of the Lego games. I, I beat the heck out of Marvel superheroes, Lego Marvel superheroes. I uh, didn't get 100%, but I played a whole lot of it. We played a lot of Lego uh, The Force Awakens. That was really fun, but I think part of it that I liked the the superheroes one better was because the characters that you can unlock in The Force Awakens are, and a lot of the Star Wars games are like this. They're so generic that you get Unker Thug, you get you know you get Unker Plot's Thug, you get all of the like side characters that are in the cantina, yeah. and I mean. Bazine Natal is cool and all, but I don't really care about running around the galaxy as her. And so I didn't necessarily enjoy unlocking all of them like I did unlocking Ant-Man or the leader or something like that. And that may just be the comics nerd in me. We saw Moana. Have you seen that yet? No, I want to. We haven't gotten to it. My kids saw Uh, it and they loved it. And I've heard nothing but good things about it. So at the very least, I will watch it as soon as it comes out when I can just you know, stream it at home on whatever. But I don't know if I'm going to make it to the theaters to see it. I figured that you would have watched it because Lin-Manuel Miranda did the music. Right. And and he sings in it at one point, too. There's a song that he actually sings, and it's super good. Like, Moana and the music, it's integrated so well into the movie that it doesn't feel like a full-on musical, even though it is. But it's not like, I'm walking down the street, I'm with my parents, oh, I'm going to break into song. No, it, it, it feels like it is a natural part of the world. And it, it's really awesome. Um, I finished up Daredevil season two. Oh yeah, you what were did, right. Was I okay? I good. really, really, really liked it. Uh, the Punisher. This is the only iteration of the Punisher I've ever liked. Yep. Um, they did tone down the violence. It seemed like they were toning down the violence from uh, season one, which is astonishing given that it was the Punisher. It never felt as gratuitous as it, as it did, except for, you know, certain moments where it needed to be. Uh, there are moments where I just had to like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they showed that. Yeah, but it, it's but, like it always serves the story in season two. It does. Whereas in season one, sometimes it was just violence for the sake of violence. And I hate that. Yeah, it was where it felt like with the Kingpin. uh the Kingpin episode where he bashes the guy with the yeah, car door. Yeah, yeah. It just felt like there was no call for that. But with the Punisher, it felt like there was a reason for all of this. And what I liked about the Punisher is he felt very much like Kylo Ren to me, where he was this complete and total just just he felt like this just absolute total warrior. Like he was a soldier. He knew what he was doing. He was an expert at this. 
and he was pathetic. That when he was, there were certain moments where I could just see and feel the, the just, he, I just pitied him as a character where you would see that almost weakness under the surface with him. And I really thought they made him sympathetic through that. And it was fantastic. Like, I can't wait for the Punisher Netflix show to come out because of that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I thought that, like, I've never really cared about the Punisher as a character before. And this season made me care. And then when I heard that they were going to do a Punisher season of the MCU stuff on Netflix, I was so excited about that. I, I hope that he interacts with like the defenders and like daredevil going forward too because i feel like his interaction with daredevil makes daredevil more interesting i hope that they don't just kind of put him in his own little side story away from everything i hope that it keeps tying back into everything else yeah and i think they probably will given how they've tied even luke cage into jessica jones and then you know claire into luke cage all of that stuff where i think they're going to do pretty good with it um especially with the defenders i think you're right that's going to be great um I also watched a couple of comic book movies that I hadn't gotten to. And I think you've seen X-Men Apocalypse and Suicide Squad, right? I have. You've seen both of those. Okay. So I sat down and watched them. And because I'm a huge X-Men fan, X-Men and Spider-Man were my thing in the 90s. Like, I loved them. And so X-Men Apocalypse, the Age of Apocalypse was my favorite storyline growing up. And I still have to read the Battle World Age of Apocalypse. But I just love that. So Apocalypse is great. And I watched the movie. As a character, Apocalypse is great. And I watched the movie, and as a comic book fan, I like it because I enjoy those characters. As a movie, eh, it's not that good. Um, I enjoyed it. Didn't think a whole lot of rewatch value. I'll probably watch it a couple of more times because I actually grabbed it on digital because it was only a couple more dollars than renting it on digital. So I was like, I'll watch this one over again because I usually watch X-Men movies a couple of times. And uh, it was it was good. Kind of eh. But then I watched Suicide Squad. Well, hang on. So X-Men okay. Apocalypse, because I have watched it. I don't think I talked about it um, on the podcast. Okay. So my takeaway from that one was it kind of like you. It's kind of like it was OK. It was meh, but it wasn't horrible. It wasn't great. It wasn't um, bad. It's that like Brian Singer is still in charge of the X-Men universe at Fox, all that kind of things. But he's yeah. like on his way out. And the takeaway that I had from x-men apocalypse is that they finally finally done a full like cast reset and it seems like the cast they have assembled could be fantastic if they take the series in a new direction which makes me much more interested in the future ones like they said the next one might be kind of like a 90s themed x-men right um and it should be based on what they've done with the last three right and i think that that could be really good so I want to watch X-Men going forward now a lot more than I've been interested in the past, like, three or four movies. And they did Sansa playing Jean Grey was fantastic. Yeah. Like, I loved her. There were a few moments where her American accent, like, wavered and I heard the British, but I really, really liked her. And I was I was all on, all on board with uh, uh, Olivia Munn as Psylocke. That she was great. I never saw Olivia Munn. I was just like, oh, yeah, Psylocke. That's awesome. And then I was, I hated Quicksilver in this one. Like, they did way too much with Quicksilver because he got such, uh, he got so much, like, people loved seeing him in the, in X-Men 
Days of Future Past, and his scenes just went on too long. I really hope that they don't do that again. But I didn't care anything about Apocalypse. He was just this big bad villain who, you know, there was no real personality or anything to to grasp onto. So he was just kind of there. And yeah, uh, and the other thing with uh, Apocalypse is I saw some prop guys who just like, or not prop, but like um makeup artists like yeah. monster factory type guys that work in films who just hated the yeah. treatment of the character the way that he looked on screen oh, so yeah, they he did dumb they did mock-ups of other options they could have gone with and they all looked just amazing compared to what actually yep. ended up on screen it was so funny yeah they had i've seen i've seen those and there was no reason for him to look as dumb as he did that i, I don't know what their concept artists and makeup department were thinking with that one it was just it was just crazy. But they also showed the Weapon X storyline from Marvel Comics Presents with Wolverine breaking out. And he had the headset on, the big head, like headgear coming out of his tank. And that was the only comic book growing up that my mom wouldn't let me buy because it was too violent. That she ne- she let me read almost anything I wanted to except for that. That the comic book guy that Mark uh, in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, Mark at Mark's Cards and Comics convinced my mom it was too violent for young me to read. And I never got to read it. Or I got to read it at a friend's house. I never got to own it. and uh, But they had it in there of him breaking out, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, come on, Mark. What's your problem? Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Sorry, I derailed you. You were going to go talk about uh, Suicide Squad? So Suicide Squad. Yeah, let's talk about Suicide Squad for a second. I think you and I may be a little different on this one because, okay, apparently I'm not a big fan of the DC movies. You know, I loved Man of Steel and no one else did. And all of the others, like, have there only been two others? Batman versus Superman and uh, Suicide Squad now? Oh, man, it feels like there's been a million because they're so bad that they just linger in your mind. Yeah, but maybe it's only those. There's only Um, a couple since the reboot. There was Man of Steel and then, yeah, I think... Just Batman versus Superman, and then this. There's, there's yeah, it only feels three. like there's a million. There's a million minutes of terrible within those two, like four hour movies. Yeah. Um. So, but I I liked Man of Steel. Okay, it was good. I saw Batman versus Superman, and like we said, I think it was in the last podcast where I was let down by that one because it was worse than my lowest expectation was. Okay, and. I go into Suicide Squad expecting very, very little, but I'd heard from multiple people that said it was a fun action movie. There were funny moments that, you know, it was it was not a good movie, but it was worth watching because it was a good action movie. And anyone who told me that is a liar, and we don't watch movies the same way, because Suicide Squad, I think, was worse than Batman versus Superman. Which is saying a lot because there were scenes in Batman versus Superman that I enjoyed. There were 30 seconds at a time where the, where Zack Snyder had put together a scene and I was like, man, that was a good scene. That never happened in Suicide Squad. Everyone said it was so funny and I laughed one single time. I promise you, like I was painting, I was like, huh, I actually laughed at that one instead of rolling my eyes. That it was so bad. Like, I don't understand how that movie got made. There were decisions a human being made that said, yeah, this is a good idea to put into a movie and spend more than my yearly salary on. And I want to slap them in the face for being able to do that. See, I I think it was I don't hate it as much as you, but I also don't have as much of an attachment to the DC universe as you, which is probably the difference here. Whereas you hate it. I thought it was extremely mediocre, like 
just coming in not knowing most of the characters um i I just thought it wasn't a very good movie but it wasn't like it wasn't horrible it wasn't definitely wasn't good it just kind of was and the only thing that i really liked in the end walking away from it was kind of like the interactions between deadshot and harley i thought that they were interesting like if you give me like a buddy movie of deadshot and harley i'd probably watch it but i don't think that it's set up to do that in any way and the rest of it just kind of felt generic. It felt generic. It felt very it mediocre. And you just, I don't know. I saw it once, and I'm kind of glad I saw it to have said that I saw it. And I don't ever right. need to see it again. It it felt like they were trying way too hard to be a gritty Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, the, way, the way Jennifer had put it, she had read online that the soundtrack, that the movie felt like a schizophrenic jukebox exploded. And the music did not fit at all. It was just there. And it's like the the music designer in Guardians of the Galaxy had a theme for what they were putting together and it added to the movie. And all of a sudden you just have all of these rock and pop songs trying in the background trying to make it, you know, sound really cool and feel. And it's just like, yeah, this is so generic. It was so generic that it was that even sci-fi B action movies I felt were better because they tried to be that generic yeah and a lot of that i think is not a lot of it but some of it is what happened behind the scenes with the production of the movie oh, yeah i've read a lot about that i don't want to get into like the nitty-gritty because oh, yeah, yeah. it's just it's not worth it to get that worked up over that movie it's just kind of like yep there it was oh Move no. on. i was just astonished at how bad it could be i'm tr- and and this is no offense to any listeners out there please don't take this as a personal affront but i don't understand how people thought it was a good movie that I had people say that it was one of their favorite movies of the year, and I really don't understand how their brains work. <laughs> okay. Well, it seems like your holiday break was very, very, like, superhero and comics heavy. Did yeah, you, you have, know why? Why? Because Rogue One left. I was going to be Star Wars-centric, and I was so excited to get into all these audiobooks and Star Wars video games and, and Star Wars comics, and then the more I thought about Rogue One, the less I cared about Star Wars. Oh, man. So I just transitioned into superheroes and went all in on it. Because, I mean, really, Rogue One left such a bad taste in my mouth that the more I, the more that it's been in my mind, the more I'm like, just give me Spider-Man. Pie to man, pie to man. I'm good with it. Wow. Uh I don't, I don't want to get into that again. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, but I'm saying I really do think that's what happened to me, though. Uh, I, okay, that's I mean, that's valid if that's where you're coming from. Uh, what else did you do outside? I know you did a couple other things that weren't superhero comic related, right? Um, my wife got me Pandemic for my birthday. That's no, for right. Christmas. She got me Pandemic for Christmas. We haven't been able to play it yet because we were both sick. She was sick for a week and then I was sick for a week. So that kind of knocked out being able to use our brainy parts. And we haven't been able to sit and concentrate on Pandemic yet. Okay. But you have it and it's like it's yeah, ready I, to go. I have it. It is ready to go as soon as we as soon as we have brains that can, you know, cooperate and uh, think strategically. <laughs> nice. And then I've been thinking about planning out some novels. I'm actually thinking about a superhero novel. Of course that, you are. Well, I've been thinking about it for a while and I've no, been no, wanting I to write a I cyberpunk just, novel. I know you. And it's like, OK, I'm, of course you are. Of course you are. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course I am. And I'm trying to figure out how to make it a cyberpunk superhero novel. And I'm working on getting the structure to do that. And my issue is I don't I haven't read a lot of superhero novels. I've read a lot of comic books. So I know story structure, but I don't know how to do that in a novel yet. So I'm trying to mix the cyberpunk and superhero thing together and figure out what I can do with it. So I'm hoping that comes together at some point over the year. Cool. Yeah, hopefully it does. You'll have to keep us in the loop for that. Yeah, I'll try. Yeah, do you have anything else, like, big you want to talk about? And I'll let you rest your voice a little bit while I talk. I think that was about all that I did this time, other than uh, bought myself a Spider-Gwen Funko at the drugstore the other day because it, as my birthday present because I <laughs> felt bad on my birthday. I was like, this will make me feel better. I love you, Gwen. Nice. So Yeah, uh, okay. So for my stuff, I kind of talked about the comics. I, that was just a very, very small part of the end right. of my break here. But I... I'm, I'm just going to run it down the way I have it here. I don't think it's really ordered. But um, Rebels Season 3, I finished the first half and the last couple episodes of the first half are really good. And I'm really glad that are I made they? it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that I made it to that mid-season break because good. there were a, kind of a lot of standalone episodes in the middle there, which I can kind of take them or leave them. I always watch them because I know that sometimes they'll tie back in later and right. they'll be key to the story. But when I'm watching the actual ones that feel like they're standing alone, kind of like, uh, whatever. Um, but the, the last few episodes of this half season were really good and they got back to the Jedi storyline and that's always the thing I'm most interested in and there were some things that happened to Sabine to make me actually interested in her where I've never really cared about her before she's okay I mean she's not I I didn't dislike her but I've never felt like invested in her as a character I felt like they didn't do enough to make her more than I'm a Mandalorian okay well I can see that I totally see that yeah so they actually develop her character and they give a couple hooks to things that are going to happen to her in the future that make me interested in finding out what happens to Sabine next which I've never ever felt that before in Rebels so that's good okay Um, I really liked that first half season uh, end or whatever you would call it half season finale I guess I think it's the mid season finale is what they use there now you go, or the winter finale yep I think mid season finale is the official term so I liked the mid season finale for Rebels a lot and then I went back and I do not have the same reaction to Star Wars as you because I love it no matter what I went back and I read the Rogue One novelization just because I wanted the extra context and the extra scenes that you get when you read the novel. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot extra. There never is. But I did the same thing for Force Awakens. I've done the same thing for every Star Wars movie that's come out. I've gone back and read the novel afterwards to find out a little bit more about it. And you kind of get some of the characters' inner monologue that you would never be able to get in film. Right. So you know where they're coming from a little bit better. And then there are always scenes that you just kind of assume were cut from the movie that are still in the book. So yeah, those are interesting too. I'm trying to think like the most interesting tidbits were probably just stuff with like the Mon Mothma and like the upper levels of the Rebel Alliance that you don't really see in the film. And then there are a lot of, they're kind of like interstitial, like little intermission breaks where they just have documents yeah. that are going back and forth between either the higher ups in the Rebel Alliance or people working on the Death Star project. And it's, it's almost just like inner office emails that are going back and forth, but they give you little insights into how things are run, and those are super interesting. So yeah, I'm glad I read the Rogue One novelization, but I wouldn't recommend it to most people because you're not going to get much out of it, and the movie's better, you know? Okay, I have a question Yeah, then. I really do want to ask, because and I meant to ask you this earlier and didn't. 
they did they give any extra explanation or illumination on Vader's lava castle on Mustafar? Did they talk any more about like details about it that you could tell me about? Like it, you know, he had he had the servants. Obviously, was there anything cool else that you learned about about that in his his Mustafarian like Sith temple? Nope, nope, not at all. Aww. It's just kind of well. It's basically what it was in the movie, um, because you you're getting it from Krennic's perspective for those chapters, uh, not really from Vader's. Um, so yeah, you don't learn a whole lot else about that in particular. But maybe we'll see it in extended universe going forward. I would love to. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So uh, after that, um, Carrie Fisher died, which sucked, and uh, I cried. <laughs> she is the. This is the only celebrity death that has ever made me cry. Like, I just sat and wept. It was like my, my favorite aunt died. Okay, I, so I should... I'm not attached to celebrities the way that most people are. Like, I know everyone's freaked out about... Or they were freaking out about 2016 and, like, how many celebrities were dying. And the thing is, like, I've worked in film and video for enough years. I don't do it that much anymore but like i had 10 years where i was working with people who are like famous broadcasters or people who are actors that get paid a bunch of money and like you know i was doing shoots with them i was on the crew with lots of people like that and i the first time or two that you do it there's kind of this like starstruckness to it and then after that you realize that they're just people and the the thing is that like you never will get to know a celebrity through watching their work because that's like the public persona they put on, right? That's what they're like in front of the camera. Unless uh -huh. you've worked with them or you know them personally in your personal life, you don't know that person. And people get so attached to what they think people are in that like public persona they put on and they they kind of mourn for that. And I just don't because I've realized that I don't know most of them, right? Like if it were a person that I had worked with that I know the person and not the persona, I would absolutely mourn them. But I have trouble actually getting like – it's not yeah. trouble. I just – I don't get upset about celebrity deaths because I didn't know the person, you know? Yeah, that's kind of the way I feel about it. And with Carrie Fisher, it was almost like you knew and, – and I know, I know obviously I didn't, but she was so open – about everything with her mental health and the struggles that she had through that, that she was doing such good work and activism, getting it out there, that it it really struck a chord that all of the things that she was working toward had weakened, working toward getting a better understanding of ended up weakening her so much that she died early yeah and that, i can i can that's totally really understand that yep no and i get that part of it but it's i'm, I'm talking more broadly about like all the celebrity oh, right. deaths Just, in general in 2016 so that it's sad that a person died yeah, absolutely and, and all of that i mean like oh man and the 2016 thing gets me too you know this is going to keep happening. It's not the year. It's that celebrity culture is such a new thing that this is really the first round of true celebrities in celebrity culture. And you know what? They're getting old enough to die for the first time. So we're going to have a lot more deaths in the coming years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The first group of them are getting into old age. Right. Yeah. We didn't it have. It sucks. Yeah, like, um, you have people from, like, the golden age of Hollywood that have been dying for a while, but there weren't that many stars back then. And we're now we're getting right. into more of, like, modern – well, it's not modern media, but it's, like, the start of right. TV and 
things like that where we had so many more celebrities that I think you're right. I think it's just that people are just aging up into it and it's going to be like this from now on. Um, but Carrie Fisher in particular, it was interesting because I'm so attached to Star Wars that I I didn't cry. I didn't really like mourn so much as I'm worried that how do I put this? I'm worried that she wasn't able to wrap up her character's story because I felt like she deserved to do that as an actress because Princess Leia and General Leia was such a part of her and her life. Right. And like, it's her biggest role ever, you know, and it, it feels unfair that she didn't get to wrap up that role because it it really felt like she was probably going to get a full character arc through episodes seven, eight and nine. And yeah, they're handing off all of the stuff to a new generation of Star Wars people, right? And now I'm afraid that episode eight will not have her complete story arc, that it was supposed to end in nine, and she's not going to get was. to, yeah, and that she's not going to get to wrap it up in the way that she could have if she were still alive. So that part kind of upsets me, but that's that was my general takeaway from it. And that's one thing that makes me super sad about it, too, is that I've read that they're having to go into meetings to restructure episode nine because she was going to have a par- a major part in it, too. Well, yeah, that I mean, she has a much larger part in 8 that was going to go on into 9. Well, she's, so they're going to have to rework the series. She's the only remaining parent of the main villain who has parent issues. I mean, yeah, it's going to be hard to work around that. I, I'm interested to see what they do, but I'm just kind of sad that she didn't get to do it, which sucks. Um, right. But so my, my reaction to this was actually, like, I felt like I didn't know Carrie Fisher that well because... Like I said before, if I don't know a celebrity personally, it doesn't hit me very hard. Right. Um, but she was she died when she was on tour for her new book, which I hadn't even heard about until after she died, called The Princess Diarist. So I went mm-hmm. and I was going to read it. And then I realized there was an audiobook version that's narrated by her. And that is awesome. That is. So that's what I did. The day that she died, I bought that audible version and I listened to the whole thing. It's only like five hours or so. Um, oh, wow. I didn't know it was actually that, you know, easy to listen to. Yeah, it's it's a quick listen or a quick read if you want to read it. And it's basically like her life around the first Star Wars movie. And Mm -hmm. she had found some of her diaries from when she was shooting that movie because it was her first big movie that she was ever part of. So it covers kind of like what she did right before that and then how she like the casting process and how she got into the movie and things about like the hairstyle and how that was decided, like iconic things that we all know. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then about her relationship with like Mark and uh, Harrison behind the scenes and it, the thing that you guys might have seen like headlines about it was that her and Harrison Ford had an affair during the shooting of the first Star mm-hmm. Wars movie. So that's in there, too. And it covers that stuff. And then there's there's a little bit of it where it's like ex- excerpts from her actual diary from when she was shooting the movie. And those are read by her daughter, which are interesting because it kind of gives you know, oh, man. like a younger tone of voice to it. And then the book wraps up with her talking about how Princess Leia and then General Leia became such a part of her life and she was never able to like extricate herself from the character kind of about how she feels about fans and like going to comic cons and signings and what Princess Leia meant to everyone else and what it meant to her. So it was a really, really good way to kind of not, not even get my head around it, but just to kind of celebrate Carrie Fisher in a way that I wasn't expecting to, but 
Yeah. Yeah. So that that was my reaction to her death was that I bought her book and listened to it. I don't know if that's weird or not. No, I think that's I think that's a really good thing. I'm going to do the same thing. I love celebrity memoirs. Like if I like a I like learning about people who I enjoy watching. Like uh Tina Fey. I really like Tina Fey's work, so I wanted to read her book when it came out. People who I know wrote it themselves, I'm all about reading because Tina Fey, um, I'm trying to think of other people who I've read. Craig Ferguson, um, oh goodness, I can't even remember uh, other people, but I like that kind of thing. Yeah, and you get a different feel to it when they also are the narrator for their own words, right. which I really, really like sometimes. So, um yeah, actually, here, you guys, you can, if you're interested in it like I was, you can, we have an Audible trial. What is it? Let me scroll down. It's audibletrial.com slash geek to geek cast. You can get a free book. Um, that's our normal. I'm not going to plug it super hard. But if you guys want to read it and you don't want to spend money, there you go. Um, besides that, I also read, well, I read and I listened. This was one that I kind of split my time between the two, but Red Rising, which I think I told you a little bit about. You told me a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the best sci-fi books that I've read in years. And then I found out it's a trilogy. So I need to get into book two. And I think book three just came out a little bit ago. So I think it's a full trilogy that I can read through, which I'm really excited about. It, awesome. The thing is, like, I don't know. There's a twist to it, and I don't know whether to give it away or not because it happens super early, but I didn't care about the book all that much before the twist, and then after it, it was interesting. So, hmm. No, I'll give it away because it's not huge. So it starts out, the main character is like a miner on Mars who lives underground because the planet is still like, it needs to be terraformed, and they need whatever, the minerals or the elements that are deep under the ground, right? And there's a caste system in place that's super oppressive because they just they need people to work hard enough to be able to terraform the planet and over the years a caste system has developed so he's one of the reds which is kind of like the lowest caste out of all of them he does a couple things happen where he gets punished and his wife gets punished because of their actions like they don't do what they're supposed to do right for their caste mm. they they disobey basically the kind of typical totalitarianism yeah. like oppression oh my god we're gonna rebel and then things happen and it's bad for the protagonist and after that he kind of escapes from where he had been and he's brought into this like resistance organization see all of this sounds so tropey so far right. um he's brought into this resistance organization they kind of test him out to see if he's a good fit and after he is they take him up to the surface and they show him that mars is completely terraformed that they've been oppressed for nothing and oh. and that's where i started getting interested that's the first twist but it happens in the first i don't know like one tenth of the book like it doesn't take very long to get there so i'm not really like spoiling the whole point of the book for you guys the point of the book is that that inspires him to want revenge so hard that he agrees to like okay so the casts are not just a caste system it's also genetic differences between people so they have i don't remember all the colors off the top of my head but they have like blues and greens and like one people are like good at being doctors and one people are like okay these are the engineers and technicians and they're the grays that like these are kind of like the foot soldiers and they're like super big and bulky and huge and um like kind of titanish and then there are the golds and the golds are the ones who run everything and they're like perfect but they're also like <laughs> you know they like bathe in their luxuries they're just they're living the life of luxury but they're also like perfect genetically to the point where they're superior to everybody else and uh, okay so the main character 
volunteers to go through a process of genetically being like transformed into a gold and it'll strip away all of the core of who he is as a red genetically but he still has his mind right and that's kind of all that he has left and so then the book gets really good because it becomes about him infiltrating the golds and learning how to be a gold and then going to like the academy for the super important golds who will be the future like leaders of gold culture which is the whole solar system colonized by them they're kind of ruling everything they own all the space fleets they own all of the tech like the technology and the armies and battleships and all that stuff so he is infiltrating them by being them with the end goal of hopefully getting high enough in their hierarchy to change everything about the entire solar system wow and that's the, I don't want to tell anymore because that's only I mean that's like less than a fourth of the book right there. Um, uh, okay. And I didn't even give away some of the big twists in the beginning, but that's the key twist that I was debating about. And it's much much more interesting after you get to that point. And then it's a fantastic book all the way through. And I finished it and I was like, wow, that was a great sci-fi book. I hope there's more, and there are. So I'm excited about that. That sounds really cool, actually. I'm. Um, I love books like that, and it sounds really similar to – have you ever read uh, Uglies by Scott Westerfeld? I don't think so. It sounds a lot like that where at at a certain age, like when you hit puberty, maybe it's 13 or 16 or something like that. I can't remember. You go through and you – there is a committee that decides on what perfect beauty is and you change from an ugly into a into a pretty and you you basically turn into what they describe it as looking like a real life anime character uh <laughs> beauty by committee and it goes into a lot of the same things that you were talking about with you know it's your mind that you keep but your body changes and then how that changes your personality and stuff like that like they're really really good books yeah yeah red rising is just it's fantastic and i don't know why i waited so long to because i've owned it for a long time i just didn't get around to reading it but i'm really glad i did so i would highly suggest red rising if you like sci-fi at all um so yeah go grab it on audible at audibletrial.com slash geek to geek cast there you go yeah you could grab that one too I also played a ton of games. I'm just looking through my game list. Uh, I played the Telltale Batman game, finally, which was yeah. really, really good. It's like a lot of kind of like Bruce versus Batman, whereas I feel like the movies lately have been all about like I'm Batman and I secretly play the character of Bruce Wayne, you know, like especially the Nolan yeah. movies like Batman is the real person and Bruce Wayne is a persona that he puts on right in the Telltale Batman game. You get to choose like you can make it so that Batman's the real person and you put on the Bruce Wayne persona. I played it the other way because I thought it was more interesting where Bruce is the main character and he just kind of becomes Batman when he has to. But there are there are entire situations where it will let you tackle them either way. You'll come to a decision point because it's a telltale game. It's all about making choices and decisions, right? And you either can pick Batman or Bruce and approach an entire encounter as either one. And either one is totally viable. It's just up to you. So that was really cool. And there was a bunch of detective stuff, like putting things together in order to find out what happened. Like the the way they handled detective things was really fun to do too. And I just, I thought that this was more role-playing than a lot of RPGs I've played lately. Whereas RPGs feel like, uh, like a vehicle to deliver a story a lot of the time, but they don't always actually let you take on a role. 
this one feels like you're taking on the role of either Bruce or Batman, whoever you want to, because you get to really play it either way. I just, I loved this game. It was fantastic. I thought it was really good. I bought a couple of games in the Steam sale and a couple on Origin over the holidays with some Christmas money I got. And I just, (laughs) I just wanted to make a note that I was downloading a Steam game and an Origin game at the same time that were about the same amount of like gigabytes for each one. And the Steam game downloaded and installed in minutes, and the Origin game downloaded and installed in hours. And yeah. it's just, it's funny that there's such a difference. Um, so a couple of the other games, Abzu, if you like the game Journey, if you've ever played that, or mm. Flower, it's not really like Flower. It's a lot more like Journey on PS3 or PS4. Abzu was cool. It's kind of like you're an underwater adventure alien thing and you have to explore and you just you figure it out as you go it's a lot like journey where it just kind of throws you into it you know what i'm talking about right yeah and you and for listeners who don't journey is fantastic journey is one of the first indie games that my wife ever played and it it got her through an anxiety it and tomb raider got her through her very first like set like session of anxiety her anxiety episode so if you haven't played journey it is super calming and relaxing and i highly 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 suggest it yeah so that one was good abzu is cool if you like journey awesome um i tried out. i really need to get it <laughs> yeah you should i bet you would like it i tried out warbands bushido which is uh it's in early access but it was really cheap on the steam sale it was like six dollars or something and um it's it's like a tabletop mini game where you only have like two or three figures and they're all mm. like samurai ninja type they're bushido figures right and you can swap out your minis and you can swap out the cards that go with them and it's just like a very fast to play almost tabletop mini game online against other people and you can tell that when it goes into full release there's going to be like a full single player campaign and scenarios you can do and who knows what other modes but the core of it that's there that I could play was really fun. So I played for like probably just like a whole day of really getting into it and seeing what's there. And I determined that this is a game I want to play in full release. So I, I threw it into one of my Steam folders that's just like alphas and betas and early access games. Right. So I'll come back to it. I know that I will. But keep an eye on that one as it comes closer to release because I bet you'll hear more about it. It's called Warbands Bushido. Okay. I played Orwell which is probably the game that had the biggest impact of me on me over the break. It's all about, like, how do I even describe it? It's Big Brother, right? You have been recruited to be, like, an outside consultant for this new system called Orwell, which is essentially spying on citizens of the nation that funds it. Huh. If you can... If you can get enough information to legitimize somebody as a potential threat, you can add them as a target, and then you get access to like all of their emails, all their communication, all of their phone calls, all of their like. Um, you can dig into like web pages to find information about them, like uh, government records and things. And so it's like you have to start on the surface level, like you're browsing the internet just to find out what you can about somebody off of public information that's available on websites and blogs and, you know, social media that people haven't locked down, things like that. And then as soon as you can legitimize them as a target, you get access to their phone, you get access to their devices, their computers and things like that. And it's all about putting together, trying to figure out, like, are these people really like a terrorist cell or are they just a group that disagrees with the government? 
And at right. what point do you bring somebody in? At what point do you have enough information that you can prevent a terrorist attack? Or are you just invading their privacy and not actually getting the whole story out of it? it it's it just had a huge impact on me because it's this like it's a point where technology and privacy and free speech all come together and I'm a student of mass communications, so I studied all of this stuff about privacy and, like, mass comm law and free speech and journalistic integrity and, like, publicly available information and, you know, what people can do to censor you or oppress you. Like, I'm a student of all those kind of things just from my schooling and from what I find interesting, and this hit on all of those topics. So it w- it was just amazing. I played it all in one session. It was like five hours, maybe, I think, maybe a little bit more than that. But it was fantastic. That sounds fantastic, really. I'm not sure if I would be able to invest a lot of time and energy in it, but I love the concept. It's broken out into, they're not really chapters, they're like days. And I think it happens mm-hmm. over the course of five or six days. So there are points where it's easy to stop like you finish this day you've accomplished enough it's like okay come Uh, back tomorrow so you don't have to do it in one sitting i was just kind of invested to the point where i wanted to and i did i pushed through so yeah orwell i highly recommend orwell if any of that sounds interesting to you i also went back and i had on my list to try to replay through the mass effect series before mass effect andromeda comes out and i i just couldn't do it the problem i ran into was that the characters and the story didn't feel like mine. Like the first time I play uh, through a story with decisions that can really impact things and like character relationships that you build over time, I feel like that is my story that I played through. And anything that deviates from it feels like fan fiction or like it's not real. So yeah, that's what happened this time. I tried to go back and play it with the opposite gender shepherd that I did. And I tried to play it with different decisions and it just, it didn't feel like it was my story anymore it felt like i was purposefully doing things opposite of what i would because i was so i i couldn't do it so i've decided to just put mass effect down and just wait for andromeda because it's out in like two months so whatever yeah i've never gotten through the mass effect games my xbox red ringed while i was in the middle of the first one and i never finished it out i ended up buying the second one on steam and on origin like i think i was given a copy on origin for some promo and i tried it and i just can't get into the combat that that is one thing that that i love the story i love how bioware makes rpgs but i cannot get into the pseudo first person shooter combat and see it's different because so what i did was i started at game one and then when i realized i couldn't get into it i thought maybe if i just jump ahead to game two and then i thought again maybe if i jumped to game three so i played the first like two or three hours of each one in one like in two days i think i spanned okay and they all play very differently the first one is much more rpg with like a shooter hacked into it almost like you can miss your target just because your character is not skilled enough to shoot like in the middle of the sights things like that and then the more you go on the more it gets like a tighter shooter to it so if you've only played one of the games or even if you've only played two of the games you haven't seen like where it landed in the end which it is kind of a third-person shooter, but it feels much more like a tight shooter and less like an RPG and a shooter hack together. And uh, okay, yeah, I, I still I love Mass Effect. I love the Mass Effect trilogy. I just 
I've decided to like leave my playthrough as my playthrough in my mind forever and just not touch that trilogy again and just wait for Andromeda because I'm really excited about Andromeda and I don't want to tamper my excitement for it by trying to force myself through that again. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does actually because it's very easy to burn out on something if you're not having the pinnacle experience that you remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So outside of that, um, I picked up a game which is it's not a great game but i've been playing it it's called soda dungeon on mobile and okay it's all about like setting up a party of adventurers to run through a dungeon but then you can just set it to auto and just let them do their thing so it's much more about like gear composition and like party composition and then just let them do their thing and see how far they make it and then they bring you back all uh... the treasure and it's kind of like a higher level adventure management but it's also just kind of like a time waster game and yeah 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 it's one that i've been playing for a couple days i can feel like by the time we record next week i will be completely done with it but i find those mobile games every once in a while that i know it's dumb or i know it's just a clicker game or a tapper game or it it's a game that i'm gonna hit a paywall at some point which this one doesn't feel like a paywall this one just feels like i'm just gonna spin my wheels until i get bored and then i'll put it away forever but yeah it's one of those mobile games not a whole lot of staying power but i have been playing it and it's interesting so soda dungeon um i'll look into that is it free to download yeah it is it's free to okay free to start i don't think you have to pay at all for anything if you don't want to in it okay cool and oh i did a bunch of board gaming with my kids they got Catan jr for christmas which they really like so we've been playing Catan jr um, and then right. my son got Baby Monkey Astronaut <laughs> as a game. That sounds which, awesome. Yeah, he really likes it. It's a simple, like, countdown memorization game. Like, you have a bunch of tiles and you flip them over, and then you have to remember where they are so that in the end, your whole goal is to be able to flip them over from 10 all the way down to 1, and then you blast off. So it's kind of a memorization game, kind of. I don't know. It's it's perfect for his his age group, and he likes it a lot. And then I also got, I well, I didn't get. I got it a long time ago, but I got around to playing Cthulhu Pandemic, which oh yeah, that sounds awesome. It's cool. I mean, it's the core of Pandemic is still there. You're still controlling like it's controlled chaos, right? You're trying to beat yeah. the game before it beats you. It's just it's interesting because instead of having like outbreaks and um and like disease spreading around. You end up with, you lose control of, like, board space. There are enough cultists together that what they do is a summoning ritual. So instead of, like, exploding out into the connecting nodes around it, you just, there's this, like, um, track at the top of the game with a bunch of old one cards on it. And the old ones throw things into your game. So... You could flip it over and it could say, like, put, there are these things called Shogoths that are, like, a super cultist, basically. Um, Whereas, like, a cultist is kind of, like, the normal thing that keeps appearing every turn. So it might be, like, put a Shogoth on whatever square or whatever node. Or you could flip one over and it could have just a permanent effect on the game. Like, your hand size is now permanently one less. Or you now need one more card every time you want to, like, close a gate. You know, which is Mm. the equivalent of, like, curing a disease. So the more old ones that have been summoned, the harder your game is. So it ramps up in difficulty as you go along. And then the last old one is always Cthulhu, which just means you you lose the game. And yeah, yeah my daughter and I sat down and played that. I think we played two rounds back to back the first night as we were figuring it out. And we had a lot of fun with it. I don't know if it's as hard as a normal pandemic. It feels uh, I feel like it's about equivalent to normal pandemic. It's just different. So it's like if you're in the mood for pandemic, this one's going to sit on my shelf right next to it. And it's like, oh, am I in the mood for normal pandemic or Cthulhu pandemic? I feel like it'll get about the same amount of playtime. 
if that makes any sense. Yeah, it'll probably be whatever whatever mood you're in at that point that if you're I mean, for me, I love Cthulhu stuff, but it's fairly easy to get very tired of that Lovecraftian horror setting that if you're always dealing with old gods and things like that. So, but pandemic it seems is almost almost universal. I don't know. I I get burned out as much as I love horror and that stuff. I get burned out on it very quickly. Right. Sometimes you just want to cure some diseases and save the world, which is it's nice. I mean, I like core pandemic still. I don't like normal pandemic any less. I just I like that now I have kind of an option if I'm in the mood for something a little bit different. So that's cool. Um, I watch I started watching Sherlock season four, which came out like a week ago. And there's probably one that came out in the last day or two that I need to watch. Also, have you watched all of Sherlock? I've seen the very first episode of Sherlock, and it's good, but it just didn't keep my attention. I see why people like it. I just haven't finished it. Oh, man. Sherlock is really, really good TV. Uh, You might want to give it another shot. I feel like you might really like it. Because, oh, I'm sure that I would. Okay. Like everything about it is what I would like. It just is something that there were all there's always something more interesting for me because I'm not a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. And it's just it's good. It just wasn't great for me. Okay. I still think I think I'll like it, but I still think that it's great. I think it's fantastic TV. And so I'm super excited with season four. I've only seen the first episode as of right now, this recording, but probably by the time you guys are listening to this, I'll have seen the second episode of the season. And if you guys don't know, it's Sherlock. It's with Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, Martin Freeman. I'm so bad with actors names. And it's it's my favorite interpretation of Sherlock ever. Every episode is like a 90-minute episode, so it's basically like every episode is a self-contained movie almost, and then the season generally has an arc that goes through all three episodes. So the seasons are only three episodes long, but each episode is like a very well-developed story. And at this point, four seasons in, it's basically like having 12 90-minute Sherlock Holmes movies that all tie together, which is just, it's fantastic. I love it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I always, I love the format of Sherlock, the idea of having these three or four episode seasons that are, you know, 90 minutes long each. That That's a very, very good way to handle TV, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, we're still playing NES Classic, still just playing, like, in short little cool. five, ten-minute bursts. My kids love it. Like, if they are ready for school in the morning and they have five or ten minutes i will let them play which is really good incentive for them to get bundled up and get ready so i'm not like rushing them out the door like hey if you're bundled and you have extra time nes classic and that gets them going which is fantastic um and then we started playing overcooked which is a game that i am sad i missed last year because it would have made my top game list like it would have bumped out at least the sixth spot if not the fifth spot have you heard about it at all No, I haven't heard a thing. I'm interested. Okay, so it is a co-op. It's a multiplayer couch co-op game. It's very simple to pick up and learn. There are only a couple controls to it. You have your analog stick, which moves your character. You have, uh, depending on your platform, right? Different buttons for different platforms. But um, on PlayStation, the X button will pick things up or put them down. Like you can pick things up off of the counter, put them down on a counter or put them down in whatever. And then the square button will interact with something. So it looks like you might walk over, pick up an onion, take it over to a cutting board, hold square so that you can cut it up and then hit X to pick it back up and go drop it in like um, like a soup pot or something like that. Right. That's right. That's all of the controls for the entire game. It's two buttons and an, 
analog stick. That's all there is to it. So anybody can pick it up and get going right away, which is like a huge thing for it because anyone who you have on your couch can figure that out pretty quick. And it's all about just fulfilling orders and getting them out the door fast enough and efficiently enough. But it starts to get kind of crazy. Like the kitchen start out normal and then you'll get a kitchen where there's a crosswalk in the middle of the kitchen with a bunch of pedestrian traffic. And then you'll get one where there's like... (laughs) ice flows that are going through it and you have to like ride the ice flows to different areas of the kitchen or there's one where it's not wide enough for anyone to get past each other so you constantly have to be rotating around the entire kitchen and doing everybody's jobs like while rotating the same direction and it's all of these clever little twists to make it difficult but fun and you find yourself strategizing with everybody else that you're sitting down with between every like session. Like you try it and you're like, okay, this worked, this didn't. What if you do this thing over here and you stay in this area of the kitchen and these are your responsibilities and then I'll do this part and you do that part. And it's planning, but it's also execution and it's controlled chaos, but it's also very simple to pick up. It's just kind of this perfect blend of multiplayer co-op action and it's just perfect for couch co-op. I, I absolutely love it. I've been playing with my kids almost every night, and my wife has been playing too, which has been really fun. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about it, except that it's just really, really good. You might want to try it with your wife. I wonder if you guys would like it. That sounds really interesting, and I love games that are super weird like that. We love weird stuff and absurdity, so that's the kind of thing like, oh, there's a crosswalk in my kitchen. Oh, hey, there's a lava flow going across my counter. Yeah, yeah. Take a look at that. I f- I know it's on PlayStation. I think it's on Steam. Right. It might be on Xbox also, um, but I know it's on multiple platforms out there. So Overcooked gets my double thumbs up. What else did I do over break? Oh, we went and saw... My wife took me to the Mythbusters exhibit at the Mall of America. Oh, I bet you loved that. Yeah, I did. It was super cool to see a bunch of like the things that they had done, the props that they had created or um, the the end result of myths in person. And then they also had a whole part of it that was like interactive, kind of recreating a bunch of their myths, which were fun to do, right? Um, just trying to like, can you get dressed as a superhero inside of a phone booth? So they actually had like superhero outfits and a phone booth for you to go into with a timer. Things like that. Oh, dude, that would be awesome. Yeah, we tried the what is it like the tablecloth thing where you pull a tablecloth out and you leave all the dishes untouched on top of it and i nailed it on the first try and i was like well Uh, that was amazing and that was super fun so i was really glad my wife took me the highlight was probably seeing the duct tape canoe if you've ever seen that episode no i've never seen that one so one of their duct tape specials they're trapped on a desert island and they only have duct tape and they have to okay. survive and like make shelter and make clothes and gather water and uh, pr- get some food. And then they also have to escape. And so to escape, okay. they use bamboo and duct tape to make their own duct tape canoe. And it's huh. just amazing. So we got to see that thing in person. And it, it's very, very impressive. So that was that I was bet. super fun to go to. And then the last thing that I did, and this was like last night as of recording i started the final fantasy 15 new game plus that i was intending to do all of break and i waited until right. the very very end of break to do it um okay how is it it's good it's super fast like i didn't think it was going to go this fast i played through 12 chapters in one sitting out of the 15 chapters in final fantasy 15 and okay. it's it's fast because i'm just like you carry over all your items you carry over all of your weapons you carry over all of your levels and all of your skills so 
I don't have to level up. I'm not doing any of the side quests. I'm not worrying about grinding or leveling up. I'm just doing critical path. And I played, I did like three different play sessions yesterday. It probably totaled up to about six hours and I'm through 12 chapters. So I'm pretty sure I can sit down tonight or if not tonight, then over the next two nights and finish out the whole game again. Like I'm, I'm getting close to the end. Wow. That is just, that's, that's crazy to me. Yeah. And it's, I'm this time I'm picking up a lot more of like the foreshadowing and a lot of subtleties that I missed in the story the first time around. Um, yeah, I I'm also picking up on flaws. I didn't see the first time, like loading times, like loading times because I spent so much time in the open world between activities before I never noticed how bad the loading times are. If you're just doing critical path, but they get pretty ridiculous. I bet. But yeah, it's fun. I mean, I'm excited. I'll see what I think about it when I finish it. So I can report back in a week or two, probably next week. Yeah, that I don't think it'll take you very long to plow through that. Nope. So yeah, yeah, that was kind of my break and your break. And yeah, yeah. that was fun there. We caught up. We caught up, guys, on Weekly Geekery. There was a lot of it, but that was totally worth it. And that's not a bad way to kick off season two. Um, No, not at all. No. And now I'm assuming that you guys listening to this will do your own super geekery thread uh, on the subreddit. Oh, so yeah. That's one of my look forward favorite. forward to reading about that. It's one of my favorite threads is when you guys post that weekly geekery thread and everybody just jumps in to talk about what they're excited about. I love that thread on the subreddit. Um, like, I love that because that was the entire – for those of you who are just joining in on the podcast, that this is one of the ideas that we had was getting a conversation going with other geeks about things that we all love so the fact that you guys took this on your own and did that without us pushing makes me so happy oh me too it's like mission accomplished what's next like yeah yeah, it's it's so great so that was our very random super geekery episode like i said kick off season two get caught up on our geekery next week we will be back to a more normal episode format where we'll have a topic we'll dive deep and then we'll do just a little bit of geekery at the end kind of back to normal but until then, you can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. And we have our longer discussion threads, like that geekery one, on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. And if you want email updates from any of our network's podcasts, uh, specifically this one, whenever I get around to the Health Hacks podcast, which I'm working on uh, as soon as I get a voice back again, or the Comic Box, uh, go to geek2geekcast.net and tell us which ones you never want to miss an update about. I blog almost daily at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beige. That's Beige with two E's. And I blog and occasionally podcast at geekfitness.net. We've been Void and Beige with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week and the kickoff of the new season. See you next week, geeks. Yeah, maybe I'll not sound like this then. <laughs> Hopefully. Sorry about this. 